Happy holidays, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Welcome to Miami, Bienvenidos a Miami edition as we preview Sunday's game against the Miami Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium. Coming up, you'll hear from A.J. Green, who made it official this week. He will not play a single snap in 2019. A.J. discusses his injury, his contract, and his future. In my weekly midweek visit with Dave Lapham, we'll discuss why he would have loved to block for Joe Mixon, his admiration for Dolphins QB Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we'll discuss the options the Bengals will have if they wind up with the number one pick in the draft. Finally, in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll talk to Cameron Wolf, who covers the Dolphins for ESPN. He's had a challenging job just remembering names and faces this year since the Dolphins have used the most players of any team in NFL history. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since a good nugget. One of the things I try to do before every game that I broadcast is try to find some good nuggets of information about the players and coaches to work in when appropriate. It might be an anecdote, an unusual stat, maybe a funny quote, little things that I hope make the broadcast more entertaining. For example, this week, if there's time, I might bring up the fact that Dolphins quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick is the father of seven kids, and he had a great line about it in the offseason. He blames his off-season weight gain on all of his kids' birthday cakes. Now let's get to football. This week, Geno Atkins was named to the Pro Bowl for the eighth time. That's second most in Bengals history, behind Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz, who made it 11 times. A.J. Green made it in each of his first seven seasons before the streak ended last year due to injury. And after missing the second half of last season, A.J. will miss all of this season due to the ankle injury he suffered in the first training camp practice. A.J. saw a foot specialist in Green Bay this week to make sure that he is on course for a full recovery. Everything looks good. Um, For me, I just needed some uh, more confirmation and confirmed that, you know, just looking into my future, how would it how would it be? And uh, it will be no, uh, you know, lingering effect on it. Everything will be fine. So, have you decided you won't play this year, though? Yeah, I probably won't play this year. Um, I think um, came to the decision. He's like it's best for me to just take this year off, um, just to get this thing to heal. So, you know, in the long run, in the you know, for the next couple of years of my career, I won't have no no problem. So, what do you think you need to show the Bengals or any other team at this point regarding your future? I don't need to show anybody anything. <clears throat> Everybody know what I can do when I'm on the field. I'm just having these last couple two years have been bad breaks. Um, that's one thing I can't control. All I can control is, you know, how I prepare, and I know how I I am on and off the field. How I prepare, the, the work I put in on and off the field. So, for me, um, you know, a lot of people think it's it's a lot of mental in this thing. Uh, I'm sad up. I don't, you know, I don't get too high on myself. I never get too low on myself. I stay the course. You know, you play this game long enough, um, stuff like this going to happen. So um, that's what pushes me. Um, so, What is your hope in terms of your future? Oh, we see. Like I said, my, my thing is not right now just to get, get healthy, get back to 100%, and then we go from there. 
is staying here your preference? It's always, you know, it's always, always, I wanted to stay here, break every record here. Um, but also as a, as a side of a business that you have to understand, um, every great business have got to make difficult decisions. And um, for me, I'm in my own business, so I have to make decisions on, on my end as well. So you have said that you would understand being tagged if it happens. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, that's what this tag is 18 million, so I'm not running away from that. Um, so, um, um, but that also shows, you know, they're not committed. So, and in, in that circumstance, I have to protect myself. So, the last time that you signed AJ, there was kind of a you and Julio grouped together. Mm-hmm. Do you still feel like that is the bar in light of your injuries? Uh, you know, for me, man, I feel like me and Julio are the same. Uh, these last two years, I've been hurt, but everything else before that, I feel like we're neck and neck. A guy, Julio is a guy that, you know, I got the utmost respect. He did everything the right way. He's been playing out his mind, um, and, you know, he deserves everything he gets. Um, so he's an unbelievable receiver, um, but also I understand the value that I bring to this team, and certainly if I was out on that field this year, we wouldn't be one and nor where we at today, and everybody knows that. So I understand my value for the team, and um, I think everybody else understands how valuable I am to this team. Um, but it's a, a midpoint that we have to meet at. Um, I don't know what that midpoint is, and like I said, uh, we'll go from there. For a while there, it looked like you were tracking to come back, and mm-hmm. then there was that practice where there was swelling. Mm-hmm. It seemed to be kind of a, the setback. Is is that accurate? Uh, yeah, I was just swelling up a little bit. Um, for me, I was just trying to push, trying to push, trying to push, trying to push to get back. Um, I never, you know, we, it was, you know, for me, I wanted to get back so fast, so we skip a, l- a little bit of the process, just trying to, you know, build, 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 um, trying to stack days to make sure how this thing responds. Um, but, you know, fortunately, it didn't respond the way, the way we wanted to. Um, so now, right now, I'm just focused on just building it back, and it's close. It's getting there. I can run routes full speed now, nothing, no, no, really no setbacks with that. I'm um, just, just building the strength right now and getting my range of motion back is the biggest thing. If the team was in playoff contention, would you try to play? No, that's, that's tough. Still not where I, I need to be. Um, like I said, from the beginning, no matter we going to a playoff, it's still been a hard decision to make because I also you know I'm not under contract and um, you know I can't go out there and put Bathroom out there. Um, so when you talk about your value to the franchise, your on-field play speaks for itself. It seems like there's a good possibility that Andy won't be back next year. Are you the like the one icon left leading this group forward? Oh, well, we don't know, man. I can't. I wish I could look into the future and tell you, you know, what's going to be for for both of us. Um, but you know, we've been here for the last nine years. I uh, did some great things, um, but you know things happen. Like I said, Andy's still got a lot of football left to play, man. He can whatever happens, wherever he goes, if he's here or not, he's going to be unbelievable. Um, not a lot of quarterbacks have done the stuff that he has done um, up to his, his career. And for me, you know, they got a franchise. I got a franchise. They can franchise me, and I can be here for another year and or we get a deal done or we don't get a deal done. But like I said, I'm, I'm prepared for anything. Um, um, when Peyton Manning got cut from the coats, they opened a lot of eyes, then anybody can assist replaceable. So for me, like I said, I just roll with the punches, man. Um, I'm the type of guy to try to stay very level-headed and then just – Whenever my time is is up or my time is here or wherever it is, I'll be ready to play football. What do you see as your value beyond the field? Uh, for me, man, it's just 
what I bring to the table off the field, man. It's my leadership. Um, you know, I, I lead, I'm a guy that leads by example. I'm going to give you everything I got uh, each week, in and out, uh, on and off the field. Here's my take on the situation, and this is strictly my opinion. If A.J. Green truly wants to stay in Cincinnati, he'll reach a contract extension with the Bengals. The team has made it abundantly clear that they want him to stay, and the Bengals have almost always worked out deals with their top veterans. I would be surprised if another team makes a more generous offer. If A.J. has decided it's time to move on, I would expect the Bengals to use the franchise tag to retain his rights and then look to trade him, similar to what the Texans did with Jadavion Clowney. Time to move on from that topic and turn to this week's midweek conversation with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. You had an interesting exchange with Joe Mixon in the postgame interview last week where you said, as a former offensive lineman, you would have loved to block for him. Why? Because he finishes every run hard, and that's all you can ask for out of a out of a running back if you're a lineman is, you know, if you're going to try to do all the dirty work, do everything you possibly can to make his life easier, you want him to reward you with full out, all out, 100% effort, and Joe does that, and, and Joe, I, I used to love running backs that had the emotion like him, it, it would get you going, you're, you know, you'd feed off of each other, you know, you try to get some juices flowing, and, and then he gets his rolling, and there's nothing better than as a lineman to think you have a decent block and you look up and you see the back numbers of the uniform jersey with the last name. So now you know it's the back going in the right direction, and, man, he's he's at the next level. He's at the second or third level, and it's a great feeling. I, I can't even describe it. Um, and I think with Joe, too, it's like you don't have to dominate your guy. You just have to make your guy declare something. The one thing you don't want to do if you're trying to uh, block for Joe Mixon, it's just like your defensive lineman control you. You know, it's it's like who's gonna who's gonna make the other guy declare first? Who's gonna flinch? You know, and because all Joe needs is a definitive uh, declaration of is he is he taking a side? I'm taking the other. I mean, Joe, you don't have to you don't have to blow a guy up. You don't have to pancake him. You don't have to walk him off the line of scrimmage five yards. You have to just give him a little, and he'll get a lot out of it. So, you know, that's the kind of guy that you know I would love to block for in. You know, the other thing about him is I appreciate he sticks his nose in there and blitz pickup. You know, he's not a pretty boy. You know, it's like, ah, it's too good for me. I'm a runner. I'm nothing else. You know, what do you do when you don't have the ball in your hands, you know, either running or catching it? I mean, that guy is so – it would be so much fun to uh, block for screen passes for. (laughs) Because you know he's coming. You can probably feel the earth move when Joe's digging up the turf, you know. And um, and as a blocker, he's an effort guy. He gets after it, so – I think uh, those are some of the reasons that you know, I, we always used to like. We we would ordain a running back, a uh, an unofficial member of the Hog fraternity, when he pass protected well and blitz pickup. Be like, we ordain you, we ordain you. You know, just as part of the part of the process. And and Joe would have been a six lineman in a lot of games, man. The way he and Giovanni Bernard as well. <coughs> Both of those guys are really really good in blitz pickup. I like the fact that he expressed childlike glee that Tom Brady is willing to send him a jersey. The thing about Joe is unbridled joy for the game, for life. Joe is, uh, he's a fan of the game. I mean, he appreciates the game on a lot of levels, I think. And he appreciates greatness, and he appreciates, you know, uh, somebody achieving, you know, at at the highest level. And he wants to be the best. And, you know, in in talking with his, his running back coach, Coach Shelton, he 
he wants to be coached. He wants to be hard coached. So, um, you know, every detail, where you point your toe, you know, where your eyes supposed to be. And, um, and Joe's got a heavy, heavy respect for this new running back coach. And he says, every time I come out of his room, I feel like I've learned something. So there's a good dynamic going on there. What is wrong with lining up with your quarterback under center on fourth and one and running a quarterback sneak? Not much that I can see, <laughs> but I'm, I'm old school. I mean, I, I think if Bill Belichick does it with Tom Brady as much as he does it with the GOAT, everybody's greatest of all time and deservedly so, there must be something to it. Um, I know as a lineman, you certainly don't have to hold your block as long. You can come off the line of scrimmage. If you just win at that tenth of a second coming off the line of scrimmage, you don't have to really win big. Just stalemate. A quarterback that's over six feet tall can just fall forward for – you know the gain. Um, I do. I do. One thing I'm not seeing much anymore on third and fourth and short, and you don't see it a whole lot at the goal line either. Guys going up and over, and I don't know if it's player safety stuff. They're told not to anymore. Don't leave your feet when you're airborne. You're not in control of your body anymore. Other people can do damage to you. But on that fourth and a foot, and Danny Shelton, got to give him credit. He won. And the block was missed at the line of scrimmage, and he won. At that point. I mean, up and over, I've seen so many guys do it. Herschel Walker was great at it. Walter Payton. Walter Payton was great at it. You know, um, a lot of guys over the years. And that, that seems to be an art that isn't practiced anymore. They put the paints away on that one, I guess. So, yeah, there's there's a few things. I mean, but all I can say is it just from a mathematical standpoint, when you're back in the shotgun and you're coming, you know, you do – you're able to come downhill in, in your vision, but you don't need a whole lot of vision in that constricted a, a, an area. I think you're just trying to get to the line of scrimmage as quickly as you can. And um, I don't know. I'm, that's that's my take on it. I understand there are other quarterback sneak. You know, going up under center, you, you don't have to run the quarterback sneak. You can hand it off, and they can go up and over and all that. And you can still run play-action pass and things off of it. But um, you do have to have faith that in your offensive line that they can come off the line of scrimmage and, and at least control it enough for your quarterback to, to you know, uh, take advantage. Let's talk defense. Over the last four weeks, the Bengals' D is allowing an average of 308 yards per game. That would be sixth best in the NFL if they had that average over an entire season. Is this at all similar to the running game where the new coaching staff kind of had to figure out what works for this group of players? I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, Coach Shelton said that about Joe. He, you know, he'd never. This is the first time he'd had a, a new running back coach in his career in the in the NFL, and he had the same guy in college. And now this has changed. And and I, it, it is a factor. Um, every time I went through a new staff and new uh, offensive line coach and other position coaches, it's like you have to figure out what they expect of you, and they have to figure out what you can and can't do. And there's a process there. So it's not it's not overnight. Um, with with respect to the defense, it's they, they've they're not allowing chunks anymore. I mean, it, it's it's not over and over and over again. And something has to do with some of it has to do with who they played. I mean, you know, you play the Forty Niners. You you know, you play Baltimore twice. I mean, you're you're playing teams that are at the cutting edge and executing at the highest level offensively. So. You start getting carved up in some of those games in rapid fire, it, 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 it's a blow to your confidence. And then, 
you know, you get past that and you see, okay, some some of these offenses are mortal, and and I'm I'm gonna, if I'm in the right place, I'm not going to give up a chunk play because with some of these offenses, even when you are in the right place, they challenge you and you miss a tackle. You know, it's like they're just so much better athletically. Now now guys aren't at that level athletically, and you're in the right place and you're and you're making a tackle. So um, I, I think I credit the hardest thing to do. Is when when you start off and it's all tumbling downhill, is to grab yourself by the bootstraps and collectively pull yourself up out of the hole. I, I give the defense a lot of credit for that. I give uh, the running game, Coach Turner, and everybody involved with the running game a lot of credit for that. And uh, you know, it's just if they could figure out how to score points, you know, a few more points. Uh, you know, they're they're only scoring 15 points a game. Miami's given up over 31. Something's got to give. I mean, the, the, the number of points the Dolphins have given up is crazy because of their start. I mean, they were giving up 40, 50 points a game. It was nuts. Something's got to give on Sunday. Lap, the Bengals faced the Dolphins and 37-year-old quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick this week. He started for the Bengals back in 2008 when Carson Palmer was hurt. Miami is the eighth team that he has started for. That is an NFL record for quarterbacks. You love the guy, right? I do. And I'm probably prejudiced because my nephew, Brian, was a co-captain with him at Harvard. And my nephew told me stories about him when he played at Harvard. And everything about him, he's got every intangible you can have. His personality is so amazing. Um, intelligence uh, level of humor is off the charts. Intelligence uh, level period is off the charts. Intelligence of humor is off the charts. Everything is off the charts. He just he is one of those guys that you can't find yourself not gravitating toward. You know, and what he did with his young son at the at the presser when he had his son who's going to be going to Harvard, obviously um, three or a multiplication of of two three digit numbers, and son just immediately gave the answer, and they're all with their calculators in the in the uh, press room. And, you know, of course, it's right. And he, boom, drops the microphone and off he goes. I mean, that, that's Fitzy in a nutshell, I think. But he, he is, um, my nephew told me there is never a bad day around Ryan Fitzpatrick. He always finds something good and positive to focus on, talk about, do, whatever the case may be. He is never negative. And I remember all the quarterbacks in the quarterback room with him the same way. Totally supportive, never negative. And when he got his chance, he just—he's a guy that, uh, he's because of his intelligence, he has confidence, and nothing's too big for him. He fears nothing or no one, and and he will rip it. He'll rip the ball down the field. Now, he's going to give his player, his teammates, chances. He's going to give the opponent chances as well. He doesn't care. He feels like, you know, for every mistake that might occur, he's going to make four plays. That's his mindset, and he'll he'll live with that all day long, every day, uh, the entire season. So, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you, you're never gonna you're never gonna find him in the huddle being, mm, guys, I am not. He's aggressive, aggressive. Everything is full speed ahead. Hell with the consequences. Let's just go get it. Let's just go and talk about you know damage control afterwards if we have to. But let's not talk about it beforehand. Miami had the worst three-game start in NFL history, Lap. They were outscored 133-16 to 16 in the first three weeks. They started the year 0-7, but since then, they've been respectable. They've gone 3-4 and four in their last seven games. What problems will the Dolphins present for the Bengals on Sunday? 
It, it is it is amazing. And you had in game four, they were outscored 163 to 26. They lost that game 30 to 10 to the Chargers. It, it's mind-boggling. They've let up 30 points or more nine times, 35 points or more five times, 40 points or more three times. They've they won three football games, and they've lost two games by a point. So you talk about up and down, the graph flying up and sinking. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. But I think the problems that they face, the Bengals face, with the Miami Dolphins is just uh, an attitude of throw caution to the wind. And I think it's an organizational thing. I think Flores, the new head coach, is let's you give me everything you got, I'm giving you everything you got kind of thing. And we already talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick a little bit, but it's him. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been with eight football teams. Ryan Fitzpatrick's made a ton of money in the National Football League and has never been the guy, the, the franchise's ordained guy. So he gets up. I'll guarantee you he gets up in front of his teammates in meeting rooms, in the locker room. Hey, dudes, we're underdogs. I'm the consummate underdog. Let's just go play. I, I've, I've, I've carved a, a nice career out of just giving everything I have with every, every opportunity that's presented to me. There are tons of people walking the streets that would love to be doing what we're, what we're doing. Let's just go do it. Let's have fun doing it. I'm telling you, I, I think that attitude uh, is probably part of the coaches are presenting to the players, and Ryan Fitzpatrick is the, you know, is the soldier that's carrying that flag. And there's no question in my mind that he's the undisputed leader of that because his whole football career identifies it. And, and it's contagious, and I do think that, I mean, it's been musical chairs. You look at the, the personnel transactions, part of the press release that teams send out is usually, you know, this is like voluminous. It's like you can't get through it. So it's, it's, it's been a, a, you know, a merry-go-round. And, um, but there have been some constants, obviously, the coaching staff, and, and I think Ryan Fitzpatrick, obviously, and there's others. I mean, Parker's playing at a high level. They have guys that are, that are playing well, but... I just think that the the attitude of us against the world, we're underdogs and we love it, I think it's pervasive. And I think the Bengals are going to feel that down there. I think the Miami Dolphins are like, and and for that reason, I don't think the Miami Dolphins are going to overlook the Bengals and say, oh, we have to do a show up for this one because we've won three games and, you know, we've beaten teams the Bengals haven't even come close to or whatever, whatever the case may be. I think they're just going to stay with the same attitude, approach it, like they do every week, and uh, we're going to give you our best, and we're going to be aggressive and see see how the, the chips fall. The Bengals can clinch on Sunday. Unfortunately, what they can clinch is the first pick in the draft. If they lose either of their last two games, they will go number one in next year's draft. Lap, they've been there before. Four times in Bengals history, they have had the number one pick in the draft. Going backward, Carson Palmer in 2003, Kajana Carter, 1995, Big Daddy, Dan Wilkinson, 1994. And then in 1984, they got the number one overall pick from Tampa Bay and then traded it after Steve Young signed with the USFL. They wound up getting two first-round picks for the number one pick overall. Everybody is assuming they are going to take LSU quarterback Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner. Could it be a different quarterback? a different position like Chase Young, or lo and behold, could they even trade down? What do you think? I think that the group involved has to do all their due diligence. And, you know, there's no way they're not going to. They're, they're, in my mind, I don't think they've decided anything yet. 
And you can't because you don't know exactly what's going to happen yet in terms of order. But if you do get the number one pick in the draft, I think all all options are on the table. I mean, I, I would explore. I I would make phone calls. I would accept every phone call. I would exhaust every possibility in terms of trade, in terms of um, you know player study, evaluating players. I, I I would not make any assumption at this point in time and. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow, though, just won the Heisman Trophy in the biggest landslide in the history of the Heisman Trophy and then gave an acceptance speech that had everybody crying and has raised over half a million dollars for food banks in his hometown for the underprivileged and, and the people that are going hungry. So, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a more impactful Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, he won it by a number that's crazy and, and in so doing, unselfishly, you know, bettered the lives of a lot of people. I mean, it's, it's almost like, is this guy real? I mean, when's he going to – he'll ride into Cincinnati on his white horse, you know. Uh, he's a superhero already. So when you, when, you look at, when you look at the intangibles of Joe Burrow, not just his football playing, which is the biggest thing, can he play, but can he lead? Oh, man, yeah. He's got, he's got a, lot, a lot going on there. I thought the whole Heisman Trophy thing was interesting. The three quarterbacks were all transfers from big programs to big programs. You know, I mean, you get you get players going from Alabama to Oklahoma, Ohio State to LSU. You know, just I mean, I mean, crazy stuff. Georgia to Ohio State. You know, and Joe Burrow is the third straight Heisman Trophy winner who yeah. transferred. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the two quarterbacks from from Oklahoma both transferred. One from Texas Tech, and and uh, what the other one transfer from Texas A and M. Texas A and M. That's where he was. Yeah. Kyler Murray comes from Texas A&M. So, you know, it's it's like, okay, it, it, is it the right fit? Uh, will the Bengals adapt their offense to Joe Burrow? What what was lacking with Joe Burrow at Ohio State that LSU said, oh, they were crazy. Look at this. It's 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 funny. Sometimes, as the old saying goes, you know, you, you got to end up in the right place at the right time. You know, Kenny Anderson often talks about if Van Brocklin had drafted him in Atlanta instead of the Bengals drafting him in Cincinnati would he have had the same career who knows I, you know you don't it's it, it's almost you, you can't uh, you can't project it so um, it's it I think Joe Burrow obviously is as strong a candidate as you're ever if ever want to gonna want to see if, if it's the first pick of the draft something simple like when he went up today and shook his hands at Ohio State before going up, up on stage no bitterness you know harbor no ill will you know, I, you guys improved me. I appreciate you guys improved me. I respect the decisions you made, but you respect the decisions I made. It's worked out for both of us. No hard feelings. Love you, coach. You gotta love a kid like that. I mean, how easy would it be to coach a kid like that? You talk about ego in check and where it should be. Man, um, so many things. Ego in check, check. Dad, coach, football lifer, check. Athletic ability. Oh, all-state basketball player in high school, all-state state football player, check. I mean, this guy is making defensive players in the SEC miss. I think people are underestimating his athletic ability, his ability to escape, make you miss, short space quickness, speed, all of it. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I think he obviously presents a strong case, but you can't say um, – you know, case concluded. You have to. You have, still have to do your due diligence and 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 uh, assemble your closing statement. He might have two games left. He's got at least one. No doubt. No doubt. And the thing I like about him is, 
I mean, his completion percentage is ridiculous. It's almost like 80%. It's nuts. And in big games, in big games, you know, conference championship game, lit it up, lit it up, lit it up with his feet and his throwing arm. So, you know, sometimes guys, ah, boy, you know, what's going to happen when the when it's a big game and it's all, all the marbles are on the line? Man, he's so far stepped up. He, like you said, he has a couple more under the national spotlight. So he seems to me to be the kind of kid, though, that embraces the big stage. He's not intimidated. It's almost like water rolling off a duck's back. This is what I wanted, and finally I've got what I wanted, and I'm not going to mess it up. Four of the last five number one overall picks in the NFL draft have been quarterbacks. Jameis Winston, Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, and Kyler Murray. The one exception was Miles Garrett in 2017. Again, the Bengals clinch the number one overall spot if they lose one more game. Now time for this week's Know the Foe segment as we take an in-depth look at the Bengals' upcoming opponent. And this week, we're joined by Cameron Wolf, who covers the Dolphins for ESPN. He's had a difficult job of getting to know the guys he covers this year since Miami has already used an NFL record 80 players. What has it been like to cover a team <laughs> when on a weekly basis you're probably not even sure hmm, who's that who's that guy over there? It's surreal, man. I, sometimes I have players in the locker room asking me who a guy was. Tell them, oh, this is a guy y'all just picked up from from uh, off, off waivers last week. Uh, he played at the University of Michigan. Uh, give him the whole bio. But yeah, they they, uh, they tell me sometimes they don't they just they just call each other numbers instead of names that they don't recognize. That's crazy. Uh, Brian Flores has coached offense, defense, special teams. I mean, he's got a full indoctrination to the game of football. In my opinion, with what we're talking about, the number of players that he's had to deal with, I am legitimately thinking if I had a vote, I might vote for him for coach of the year. I don't think anybody has had to deal with as much crap as he had all year long. It's crazy. Diversity, I mean, I think this is easily the least talented roster in the NFL. I think, you know, everything that he had to deal with from, you know, trades a week before the season started up their star left tackle, trading away their, their you know, who's a Pro Bowl safety and make up the Patrick, right. uh, Kenny Stills, everything that he had to deal with. And the fact they still got three wins, including one against the team that might win a division, Philadelphia Eagles, I think that is a credit to him and the staff. You know, I don't know if I go as far as push the year because they're still 3-11, and 11, but I do think that it, he does deserve credit for, for getting guys not to quit on him and maximizing the talent he had uh, from this roster. We're talking to Cameron Wolf, who covers the Dolphins for ESPN. Everybody said from the beginning of the year that the Dolphins are tanking, and, you know, I don't know how I even feel about that term. I think they are trying to acquire assets, and it's worked. They've got three first-round picks this year, a couple of seconds. They've got an extra first-round pick next year. How is Miami um, – reacting to the strategy they have used in trying to build assets. Yeah, I think that early on there was a lot of backlash about that tanking word you used, especially because they were losing games. I think it was 102 to 10, their first two contests. Yep. They started off 0-7, which is one of the worst point differentials in NFL history. So people were wondering just exactly how what this was meaning for the game of football. And then it all kind of got erased when they won some games. So I think overall the, the pass is still on point. They won't have the number one overall pick most likely. That'll probably go to Cincinnati out there unless they, they win the last two games. But I do think that, you know, they've been selling hope to their fan base this whole season. 
that, hey, the hope is we're going to have 14 picks. The hope is we're going to have three first-round picks. The hope is that we're going to eventually find our franchise quarterback. So once we get into off-season mode, they're going to finally be able to see some of the fruits of the hope they're selling. Um, so I, I think the fan base has been on board because they believe that, you know, there'll be greener pastures once they get past this uh, this painful season. Speaking of franchise quarterback, traded for Rosen, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is at the helm. I've known Ryan Fitzpatrick since his college days. My nephew and Ryan Fitzpatrick were co-captains at Harvard when they won the uh, Harvard the Ivy League championship. So Fitzpatrick, to me, is is a unique guy in a lot of ways, tangibly and intangibly. How big of an impact has he had on the football team in the organization? And what's going on with Rosen? Is he is he dead man in the water? <laughs> yeah, that's a good phrase to put it. I, I think we, we kept uh, Brian with Josh Rosen questions today, and he put it, you know, as honest as he has since he's been here and simply said that this is best for us because all the people who say differently, I don't know if they'd have the same strength to say that in front of the group of guys. So I think he's essentially saying that the guys – the guys in the locker room know a better quarterback. And he, 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 as a coach, didn't feel like it was right for him to put a guy out there who wasn't the best thing for them. So I think that Josh Rosen has played his last snap for the Dolphins unless Fitzpatrick is hurt. I think they find a way to trade him in the offseason. Um, I just don't know if there's a future for him here in Miami. That being said, Fitzpatrick has been, you know, the opposite of what Josh Rosen has been for them. He's lifted this team. I, I've talked to guys in the locker room regularly. And they speak about how they play differently for Fitz. They play harder for him. He brings a different energy. He brings a different tenacity. And, and in some of those things you mentioned, the intangibles, I just walked past the locker room and he's sitting around uh, the lunchroom eating with five offensive linemen and two tight ends. Like that's stuff that you can't teach. Yep. But those small things make an impact on the team. Like those are just the, the natural inclinations of who he is, one of the guys. So that element has been, I think, extremely helpful for the Dolphins in this year when everybody's trying to pull them apart about what they can't do while they're trying to lose, that they've had a guy that's kind of glued them together and, you know, especially all these, you know, uh, different pieces that are coming in and out. Do they feel like a rookie quarterback doesn't necessarily have to play his rookie year because Fitzpatrick, the way he has played, or do they look at Ryan Fitzpatrick as the perfect mentor for that first-year quarterback and play him right away? How do you think the organization's feeling about that, that position? I think that, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on Ryan. And I asked him just this about 30 minutes ago, and he's been really, really trying to avoid the question of 2020. He has to decide if he won't come back. You know, he's 37 years old. He's, you know, played 15 seasons. Uh, this is the first year he hasn't been with his family. He's got seven kids and his wife that still live in Tampa. So, you know, he has one more year on his contract, and right. uh, I think it's going to be about $8 million on that deal and about half of it guaranteed. So if he wants to come back, his roster spot should be there available for him. And I think he would be the guy to at least open up, you know, training camp, taking the early reps. Um, but the question is, does he want to come back and play another year? So if he does, yeah, I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick and a rookie quarterback, you have him come in and let him battle it out. If the rookie wins, cool. If if he doesn't, maybe you let Fitz start until he's ready. And, and maybe in a case with Alabama quarterback Tua Tonga Viola, if he's injured, maybe you can you can ease him in yep. by still playing fit for most of the year. So right. uh, I think they have a lot of different options there, but I think the one person who may not be one of those options is Josh Rose. Cameron Wolf covers the Dolphins for ESPN. The Dolphins have given up 54 sacks, far and away number one in the NFL. They've used 10 different offensive line combinations this season. How big right. of a mess is the offensive line? 
it's a huge mess. Uh, I wrote this last week after the game. I think they may need to find four new starting offensive linemen, and, and that's probably a, a generous, you know, uh, estimate. You know, it could end up being five by the end of the rebuild. Um, they, there's just not a lot there. You know, they drafted a rookie in the third round, and Michael Dieter this year, and he's been in and out of the starting lineup with struggles. They've got, you know, uh, kind of journeyman veterans in there um, who probably are in the last year with the team. Um, there just hasn't been any continuity. They were doing a three-man guard rotation last week um, just because neither, none of the guards were playing well. So they just figured, hey, we'll just keep swapping them out and see if something sticks. So, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been quite an ordeal. Uh, I'm actually surprised that Ryan Fitzpatrick has survived the season with all the hits that he's taken. Um, but, you know, I think that, that offensive line is going to be uh, priority, priority two behind quarterback, and it's something that they address multiple times in free agency and the draft. Like you guys said, 54 sacks, most allowed in the NFL, have only generated 18, fewest in the NFL. The, the, yeah. min, the minus 36 sack ratio, the Bengals are next worst at minus 20. The Dolphins are almost yeah. doubled that at minus 36. Can't protect, can't pass rush. I mean, it's been problems that's at the football. line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's the game of football. I think that's the essence of it, you know, this team really struggles in the trenches. You know, their front seven, is, they don't really have any talent up there. They have a lot of journeyman players. Um, they drafted Christian Wilkins in the first round, but he's an interior interior rusher. Um, he doesn't really generate much pass rush. So, yeah, I, I think that that's something that, you know, to rebuild this team the right way, they're going to have to spend multiple years rebuilding both sides of those trenches. They need two edge rushers. They need four, uh, four offensive linemen. They need a couple – interior defense alignment as well. So there, there's a lot of needs on this team, and that's why they're going to have to use all their 15 picks and 100-plus million in cap space effectively uh, because this team isn't close. They're far away away from being a contender. The Dolphins did not have a pro bowler when the rosters came out yesterday, but two of the guys they traded away this year made it, Minka Fitzpatrick and Laramie Tunsil. In retrospect, those guys aren't old why did they right. feel the need to trade away two of their recent high picks just to get more high picks? Yeah, that was two of the more puzzling, you know, moves of the season. I think for me, the biggest, the biggest one, the most puzzling one, is the Mika Fitzpatrick one because he was a, a player who was their first round pick just a year ago, right. in 2018. So he, you know, you had him under contract for three, three more years plus a fifth year option uh, for pretty cheap because you've already played the signing bonus. He's a guy who's a really talented player. Um, I think he's got five interceptions this year playing free safety. And the issue there was, you know, Brian Flores wanted to put him in a position where he was playing more in the box, playing a more linebacker position. And, and Mika Fitzpatrick just wanted to stay in one spot, ideally free safety. So the Steelers put him back there, and we're seeing what he could do there. So I, I think they regret that trade if you asked them and gave them a true serum. Um, I think it was a situation where Minka wasn't a real fan about how he was being used. And the Dolphins said, hey, we're just going to move on and, and cut our losses and get the best we can. So I think they thought the Steelers were going to be worse than they were. So that they thought that pick was going to end up being a top yep. 10 or top 15 pick. Yep. Yep. But now it looks like the Steelers may be a playoff team, so that pick might be in the 20s. Um, so that, that trade for sure is looking like, you know, that they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't think that one fully through. And Laramie Tunsil trade, you know, I think they just thought the draft capital was too, too much to pass up. You know, they got two first-round picks and a second-round pick for Laramie Tunsil. Pretty and good. So oh, yeah. that's a boatload. That's a quarterback ransom. So yep. They might still do that one again because those picks give them a certain level of, 
of, of ammo and flexibility that most teams don't have. Um, but now you've got to go find another Laramie Tunsil because that's one of the spots that are now open on the offensive line. So, so maybe they, they, they do it the Patriot way and find a way to go, you know, cheaper and fill a, a bunch of different spots. Um, but there are a lot of question marks that are going into the 2020 offseason, maybe even more question marks than, than they had this time last year. Uh, Brian Flores, speaking of the Patriot way, heavily influenced, obviously, by Bill Belichick. I'm curious, back in 2003, Marvin Lewis's first year as a head coach, he brought in Takeo Spikes to his office and talked about what he envisioned for the future. And they just finished a 2-14 and season. Takeo Spikes wasn't really all that on board. Marvin Lewis decides to move him. Do you think that might have happened with Minka Fitzpatrick and Brian Flores? And now in retrospect, Marvin Lewis says one of the biggest mistakes I made was moving to Keo Spikes. Do you think that Brian right. Flores may be in that situation with Minka Fitzpatrick? Yeah, I think eventually he could be, especially if Minka has a lot of seasons like the one he had this year. I think, you know, that's a first-year head coach, and um, he has made some mistakes, and I think, in my opinion, that's one of them, where he may have been too stubborn and saying, hey, you've got to do this my way right. versus, you know, being a little bit more flexible to what the player wanted to do. So, you know, I, I think there, there should have been a little bit more compromise there. And, you know, there wasn't. And, and Brian Flores was very adamant, we act, you know, that this wasn't a new process. Uh, Mika Patrick had expressed, you know, some frustration throughout the offseason on not really having a steady position, having to play five or six different spots. Right, and right. It's like it was affecting his play. And, you know, Brian Flores just said, hey, we think this is the best thing for the team. And he stayed steady with that. So I think, yeah, you're right. Maybe when he looks back and says, hey, I could have been a little less stubborn. I could have been a little bit more flexible. And that could have been a position that we didn't have to solve in the future. But now they, they, you know, it's done. And they've got to move on. And, you know, hopefully they can get a player that, you know, plays like Minka Fitzpatrick. Our thanks to ESPN's Cameron Wolf, And that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already... Don't forget to subscribe and please give it a rating or share a comment. Five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.